1: everyone and welcome to the your village podcast parenting beyond discipline the place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered i'm your host aaron royer i have a couple more great questions this week i apologize about getting behind and getting to answering these questions the ending of the school year and getting into the groove of summer break has been a lot of transition so we live about an hour from ventura California, which is on the beach. So my kids are taking surf lessons for the first time. I signed them up for three days because I had no idea if they'd take to it or not. Well, they're addicted after their first day. All three of them absolutely love it and can't get enough. So next summer, I'll be sure to extend their surf camp a little bit longer. And I took pictures and video of my daughter riding a wave on her first day at camp and posted it to my Instagram page. So if you're curious to follow our family summer, our family Southern California summer, you can find me at Iron Mom 2020. Also, my oldest son sprained his ankle on the second day of camp. So that's also taken me a little bit of extra time away from doing some work to take him to urgent care and then go out and get him some crutches. And of course, he's home with me. So It's kind of eaten into my work time, so I apologize for getting behind and getting this transition going, but I think, knock on wood, um, we're into a groove and we'll get this thing going for summer, and I shouldn't get behind in getting podcast episodes out now. So for the first question, which is about finding some ways to connect with younger toddlers... There are so many options for ways to connect with older toddlers and older kids, but when they're young and unable to do a whole lot, those options can seem very limited. So so I want to get to this question from Ashley. And she says, Hi, Erin. I've begun to listen to your podcast. In the past two months, I've been learning a lot. I feel like I've finally found a source to fill in the gaps of my know how and refine my parenting abilities with our two children, especially since for the past year or so, I've been really struggling with some big life changes, as well as the growing and increasingly challenging personality of my oldest, recently turned four. I've been hearing really great ideas on how to connect with my older child, altering our disciplinary patterns and investing in more positive attention but my youngest is 16 months and I worry about him a little and what seems like the lack of time I have to invest directly or solely into him. We moved across country when I was eight months pregnant and have had a really difficult first year in our new state, adjusting to life, dealing with his very needy older brother, and me struggling through the postpartum period and not feeling up to all those daunting challenges. I haven't really been the mom I want to be this past year. I've been sleep deprived, struggling with anger, and experiencing a lot of postpartum anxiety this time around. I fear I've been so engaged with and exhausted by his older brother that I zoned out or sunk into my smartphone more than I would like to admit around the baby. I would like some tips on how to strengthen the parent-child bond with a 16-month-old and also advice on finding better time and attention balance between kids with now two children. The oldest is very extroverted and seems to really monopolize parental attention to where the baby is more introverted and often more overlooked, and he seems to have adapted to this. But I'm a second-born child, and I hate that he isn't being invested in as much by us. His older brother goes to preschool twice a week. I'm with my younger fully for one of those two days and work on the other school day, and I'm with both boys all other five days. My husband is a very involved dad, but works a lot of overtime on nights and weekends. So I'm often doing the solo parenting. Thanks. And I appreciate any pointers, Ashley. Now, this definitely sounds like an overwhelming year with a lot of big changes. Ashley, a new child and a move are huge changes and two very big stressors. So it sounds like you're finally coming up for air and ready to find a plan of action and move forward. Now, I love how insightful you are about all of this too. You recognize the changes have had a big effect, the effect on the older child's personality and the younger child's personality and on the current patterns that have been set up and that as a second born child yourself, you realize the plight of the second born and you wanna be sure to address that in your family. Now, I do remember those early days with my kids and worrying about having enough to go around. It can be rough to try to balance it all. But throwing in a move to an entirely new place and adjusting adds a whole other aspect. Being a pretty much stay-at-home parent can be very isolating, even in the best of circumstances. But in a new town, in a new state, with young kids and their young kid napping schedules probably has made this a very tough transition to try to get out and meet and connect with potential new friends. We all know the squeaky wheel usually gets the grease, and you have recognized this pattern in your household with your older one. The other thing is that all things being equal early on, not forever, but early on, like in the first year to the first year and a half, if both children, an infant and a toddler need you in an equal capacity, a good rule of thumb is to focus on the older child. Get that one set up so that you can then spend the time concentrating on the younger. Now, I say an infant and a toddler because if you have a child who's like school age or an adolescent, that child can kind of fend for themselves. But when you have a toddler who really needs you and an infant, you have to figure out how to balance that. And the older toddler is going to get that attention 90% of the time just to get them set up. So let's just say that you have an infant and a two or three or four year old uh, and they're both hungry. Get the old one settled with lunch or whatever meal or snack. He or she can then feed themselves while you feed the baby. The toddler needs your help to use the potty, but the baby needs to go down for a nap. Again, err on the side of the older. Get the potty job done, and then you'll have time to focus on the nap, especially if it takes a little longer than normal. Then you can get frustrated, and you're then you got to stop in the middle, help with the potty, go back to trying to put the baby down to bed, so... It's best if you just get the potty chore done so you won't have to interrupt your efforts partway through to attend to that potty chore. And then you'll have the time to fully concentrate on baby and putting baby down. Now, I know I talk a lot about not putting kids in front of screens very much, but this is one of those times where, you know what, you got to do what you got to do. If you need 20 minutes, 30 minutes to get baby down for a nap and putting um, a two or three or four year old in front of Sesame Street or something else for 30 minutes will help get the chore done so that they're not coming in and interrupting the process, just do it. And then if you need to do another half an hour at dinner time, you you know what, just do it. We got to do what we got to do. And within reason. So these are all fine things to do, good choices to make. As far as connecting with younger toddlers and infants, there are a lot of great ways to do this. Now, even cooler about connecting with these really young infants and toddlers is that a lot of things don't take a lot of energy or planning. Infants and young toddlers really just need and want some of our time and attention. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. They just love our attention they'll help with chores like moving laundry from the washer to the dryer you can hand them the wet clothes for them to put them into the dryer now this is once they're walking decently of course and they can balance and hold on to the laundry and stick it in there sitting and talking or reading to them is a great activity and I know that you're Baby isn't that young, 16 months old. But I used to put my babies in the carrier to do dishes and do household chores because I could carry them around. I could talk to them. I would do that what I call running commentary. We're turning on the water. Feels warm. I'm going to rinse the dishes. I'm going to put them over here. We're going to put them in the dishwasher. This is a plate. This is a purple plate. I would just talk. Constantly, consistently to my babies while I was doing household chores. They're looking out when they're old enough to hold their head up, they would be looking out. So they're watching everything going on, they're engaging in the world with me, and I'm getting stuff done. And that was a great way to connect, get things done, and let my kids have these experiences and hear lots and lots of vocabulary, which is also great for their development. Now, my kids all love what they call scratches, which is really just a light massage with the fingertips. And we've been doing this since they were tiny, like 18 months, two years old. They still love it. They ask for it every single night before bed. This is a great way to connect. They just lay down, give them some nice light touches on their back, their legs, their arms, all over their body. Somebody use the fingernails, lightly rub them over their body. They love this. It's a great way to connect. You can even talk about their day. Um, just snuggle. Those are some great easy ways to just connect. Now, for some things that are a little more involved, you can do things like finger painting or foot painting, and that's really fun. For foot painting, you paint their feet with whatever color combo they request, usually not more than two colors or it gets a little muddy, but hold them over the paper and let them move their feet to paint. Now, of course, you want to tape it down or the paper is going to go all over the place, Um, There's also a great activity called Floor Time. Floor Time was originally created as a therapeutic intervention by Dr. Greenspan. It's still used a lot today in therapies and interventions, but it's also just a great tool that can be done by parents, family, at home, as well as professionals um, to stimulate a child's developmental growth and also the connection. It's a way of communicating with and responding to children, and they actually use it with adolescents and young adults as well, it encourages the toddler, the child, to do the thinking. Now what's different about floor time is that it's child-led. Like a lot of these great preschools, when I talk about the preschools with the child-led learning, this is an activity that's child-led. And there's a lot of benefits to this for the relationship and the child's development. It allows the child to be in charge of the play, And so it builds self-confidence and self-esteem. They learn that their ideas are valuable and worthy of time, respect, and exploration. They learn to go deeper into their play and to really tap into their creative thinking and problem-solving here's how it works. There's three main principles. First is following the child's lead. Just like I mentioned, you want to join in their world. You want to harness their motivation and help the child feel more in control of the play. The second is challenging the child to move up the developmental ladder. You help them with social problem solving and thinking and tolerating stress and frustration. Now, For this principle, it's really not necessary to engage in this particular step for doing this at home. This is really done more with a therapist working with a child who has fallen behind or is in danger of falling behind in one or more ways developmentally to kind of help them move forward in a really positive environment. We're not going to worry about that with our kids at home. For us, it's about connection and it's just about helping our child connect with their inner creative problem-solving aspect of development and learning. The third principle is expanding on the child's play without taking control. We want to leave the child in control, but expand on their play. Make them think deeper into it. This encourages creativity, abstract thinking, and understanding dynamic patterns. So here's what this might look like. You want to let your child choose the activity. Let's say she chose building with blocks. Ask her what she's going to build. Ask how you can help. Ask lots of questions. What is this tower for? How tall are you going to make the tower? She may decide it's the toy tower, where the toys live, whatever. These questions are part of the third step. You're expanding on the play without taking control by asking questions, asking thought provoking questions. Allow the child to really get into this world about what they're creating, what they're making and why. You're making the child think about and create a story around the play that could potentially become more and more elaborate. You can ask things like, there's a big block here. What do you think we should do with it? Or what should we build with these blocks over here? Asking questions, letting the child take the lead in the play. You're participating and engaging without taking over. You can also just comment. I see you're putting the small yellow blocks on top of the big red one. Now at 16 months, a toddler may or may not be talking at a level where he or she can engage in this play in this kind of way at this level, but you can use your judgment as to what degree the verbal skills are developed and how and what ways to use this tool to connect at her level. Some other ideas for connecting with younger kids are things that can work on their physical development, like passing a ball. If they're really young and aren't walking yet, just sitting on the floor and rolling it back and forth, being sure to roll the ball to the outside on the left and the right side so they have to lean over to get the ball. It builds their balance and their core muscles. Now, when they stand and walk, you can toss it while standing. You can play things like the crazy directions game. Now, this is one direction per year of age. So for a 16-month-old, try two and see how it goes. If he or she can handle two, add a third. This is something like touch your nose and jump up and down. Then for three, you might say, touch your nose, jump up and down three times and spin in a circle. This game is great for working on listening skills and other cognitive development, plus obviously the physical development piece when you're having them jump up and down and touch their nose and spin in a circle. They're developing all of those physical skills as well. So it's an all-around fun game with a lot of benefits. There are so many ways to engage with younger kids. If you want to know more, the classes you're developing infant and you're developing toddler go through all the areas of development and lots of different ways to promote development in all areas that are age-appropriate, and they're broken down by age. So the infant class has zero to three months, three to six months, six to nine months. Same thing with the toddler class, broken down by age, all the development, and all the ways to help promote and support their development in all kinds of areas. Now these can be found under the health and development tab on the website at yourvillageonline.com. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. By Heart is an infant nutrition company whose mission is simple. Make the best formula in the world using the latest in breast milk science, parenting for a limited time additional terms and conditions apply these later years of childhood have been flying by as a mom i want to not just be available to my kids during these last years they have at home but i want to feel good and have the energy i need to keep up with their schedule and my own so my health is a top priority equilibria is a woman-owned wellness brand with unique science-backed products that help bring your mind and body back into harmony you're not alone on your wellness journey Every customer gets one-on-one support to help you meet your goals. EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense is a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. A healthy gut positively impacts immunity, mental health, sleep, digestion, and skin health. It helps regulate digestion, immunity against bad bacteria, and improve nutrient absorption. head to myeq.com and use code PARENTING for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and much more. That's myeq.com and use code PARENTING at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. Our next question is another one about sexuality and sexual stimulation. I seem to be getting quite a few of these questions lately. It's one of these areas where we have so little information to go on. And for most of us, it was not modeled at all or very, very little at home when we were growing up. At least in other areas of parenting, we have some guidance and modeling to at least start with. Also, just being around our friends, we see a lot of ways that our friends interact with their kids We don't usually see our friends interacting or talking to our kids about sex and sexuality. So we really, where do we go? Like, where do we ask these questions? I know for me and probably a lot of other people, sex and sexuality just wasn't discussed in my home or very, very little. So let's get to this question. Hi, Erin. We're the parents of an 18-month-old daughter. We enjoyed listening to your Baby Seat podcast and hope Australia brings those strict safety rules, too. In regards to our issue, our daughter is forward sitting and won't stop thrusting her pelvis against the buckle part in between her legs. I recall hearing on your podcast that even the fetus has been observed in the womb doing similar explorations, but was wondering if we could have further advice on how to stop it. We did try a bit of a behavioral experiment where whenever she had her hand on the buckle and was thrusting, we dropped water on her until she took it off. Because it was not an idea given by an expert, we discontinued soon after. We also don't pay attention to her in the car whilst she is doing it. Either strategy has not stopped her doing it, and we were contacting you to see if you knew any strategies we could try. Keep up the great work. So the question I really want to explore is why is this important to you that she stops? Now, the obvious and short answer to this question is there is really no need to stop it from a developmental or psychological aspect what's important to understand about kids and sexuality is that yes kids are developing sexually and they have sexual curiosities and exploration at early ages it isn't quite the same as adult sexuality it feels good to her so she does it but it's like a back rub or scratching an itch So if she had an itch on her back, the more you try to keep her from scratching the itch, the more she's going to want to scratch it because then all you can think about and concentrate on is how much it itches, right? If you have an itch in the middle of your back and you just want to scratch it and someone's like, you can't scratch that, all you're going to think about is how much that itches. So if you just ignore it, she will stop eventually. Now, she's really young. Now, once she's older and has developed more impulse control and also more cognitive development as far as language development... Then you can discuss the difference between private and public touching. The private parts are explored in private, like in your room. So this is the conversation you might have with her when she's a little older, like three or four. But right now, she's way too young to understand, and it will just confuse her. And unfortunately, also, will develop shame around her sexuality. I think this is one of the hardest things for us to understand and accept, and that is that our children are developing sexually as well as in every other way. It's hard to think of them as sexual beings even if they're just in the beginning of this part of their journey because we want them to stay innocent. We want them to have a childhood free of angst. And for so many of us, sex and sexuality brings up so many feelings of angst and discomfort and anxiety. And especially when we look back at our own sexual development, the bulk of their sexual development will be during puberty. There's a very little development going on during childhood. It's really just a little bit of exploration. They realize they have another body part that when they touch it, it feels good. That's really all there is to it. So being able to accept that, um, set up some boundaries when they're old enough to understand, which comes a little bit later, you can set those up. But when they're really young, it's just being able to sort of accept that piece of it. Now, the other reason I say it's good not to worry about this is that she's exploring her own pleasure. There is no other child involved. Then it gets a little trickier to navigate what's appropriate play, what isn't, how to share this message without shaming, and then also setting boundaries around it. And that happens more around the ages of four to five. So that's something you may have to deal with a little bit more down the line. So to share a personal story that totally relates to sexual development, even in young children. And before I get into this, I just want to give a warning that I am going to be talking a little bit more explicitly about sex and sexuality. So if you're not comfortable with your children hearing this or while your children are around or you're concerned that it's going to start to bring up a bunch of questions that you're not feeling ready to answer, then you may want to save this and listen to this later. I was researching the internet this week about menopause. I just had my 48th birthday last week and while I have yet to have any signs of menopause, I know it's going to come. I was and am concerned about losing libido and my ability to stay aroused and all that goes along with that during and after menopause. So I was researching the effects of menopause on sexual activity and arousal. Now, one of the articles talked about the reasons why some women actually have better sex lives after menopause. And one thing that really rung true for me was one of the reasons they mentioned, among others, that I think we parents really need to think about. And that was that so many women finally feel free to explore their bodies for their own pleasure. It went on to say that most women are taught that our bodies are about pleasure for other people, not for ourselves. And in a heteronormative culture, sex for men's pleasure, not for our own. And that was definitely true for me. It wasn't a message that was ever explicitly stated, but a message I got loud and clear through media or through conversations I heard or what have you. There was so much talk about the male orgasm and no talk about the female orgasm when I was learning about sex and growing up. So the message that I got was that my pleasure really was not a part of the equation. So my goal for my daughter is to have her grow up a lot less repressed than i was i want her to feel empowered around decisions about her sexuality i want her to know that she can pleasure herself and explore her own body she will be a lot less likely to give a partner the time of day if they are not educated and interested in her as a whole person interested in her happiness interested in her pleasure that sex is for both participants, not just for one. And these are all things we will talk about, of course, much later when she gets into early puberty, 13, 14, 15, we will be having these talks. But the message I send to her now about her body, if I see her exploring, will have a lasting effect. So this is The reason, and this gets back to the original question I had, which is, why do you feel it's important that she stops the behavior? What are your goals for her as she grows into a woman? What messages do you want to send her about the sexual part of herself? Do you want her to be more accepting of this piece of herself? Or is it simply that seeing her do this makes you feel uncomfortable? If so, this is completely understandable. Most parents would probably feel uncomfortable, especially when they haven't learned much about this part of development. They might not know if it's okay or if it's normal. I can assure you it is okay, and it is totally normal. If you want her to grow up loving all of her body and all parts of herself, physical, emotional, spiritual, and sexual, it will be important for you to come to terms with your own discomfort around it. Figure out how you can at least get to a place where you don't let that discomfort show and spill over to affecting her relationship with her own body. If you're able to get past the discomfort, even better. But if you can sort of hold a place for that where it's like, I'm uncomfortable with this, but I'm going to accept it and really work hard not to send any messages that are going to make her feel bad about her body or her sexuality. Because I know these messages are really hard to undo and it's hard to rewire them for ourselves, Um, but we want to do the best we can to work on it. And I know this is some heavy stuff, so if it sparked any more questions or thoughts around this subject of sexual development or sexual attitudes, I would love to hear from you. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, you can send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.
0: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty-nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon.